1: Listeners and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. We will get to our story in a short moment, but first, we want to remind you that on Friday, March 18th, our new YouTube series will be starting. Make sure you go to YouTube and type in the search bar Ohio Mysteries Presents, and we will be the first video that pops up. Be sure to subscribe. Also, please consider becoming a patron of Ohio Mysteries. There you will receive some rewards for different tiers and also get mentioned on the podcast. We have some special content up there, like detectives that we interview, and some just little shorts that we do. You can do all that by going to patreon.com slash Ohio Mysteries. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Ohio Mysteries. Now, let's throw another log on the fire campers. It's time for a new mystery. Steve Yoder, and with us as always is our researcher and journalist who has spent more than 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Acker Beacon Journal, Paula Schleiss.
0: Hi, everybody. When Ray Greekar vanished in 2005, he'd only been missing 12 hours when authorities launched an all-out search. When you go dark and you're a sitting district attorney that's been putting bad guys away for 20 years, it's fair to assume the worst. But despite that quick start, police never figured this one out. Greekar has never been seen again. And 17 years later, there remain three good theories about what happened. Yes, Ray might have been killed. Maybe it was about someone he prosecuted. or. As you'll learn later in our story, maybe it was about a high-profile case he didn't prosecute. Then again, he could have committed suicide, the way his brother Roy did years before. Or maybe Ray simply used his vast experience to adopt a new identity. It's hard to ignore the fact that he once talked to a friend about the famous disappearance of an Ohio police chief, who appeared to have walked away from his life without a trace. I'll give you the details first, and you can take a guess just like the rest of us. Ray Frank Gricard was born October the 9th, 1945, in Cleveland. He had a brother, Roy James, three years older, and the two boys grew up on the east side in the city's Collinwood neighborhood, a predominantly Polish enclave. I couldn't find their parents' names anywhere, though sources have said they were Slovenian immigrants. And Ray was very interested in his roots. Later, he would take several trips to Slovenia to see his extended family, and he learned to speak it fluently. We also know Ray followed Roy into the prestigious Gilmore Academy, a private Catholic school in the Cuyahoga County village of Gates Mills. Both boys ended up in Dayton after graduation. Brother Roy stayed in the area, taking a job at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and settling in the Butler County village of Westchester, where he and his wife raised three sons. Ray got his undergraduate degree at the University of Dayton. He'd intended on studying Russian history, but he took a job as an intern for the local prosecutor's office and became fascinated with law. When Ray finished at Dayton, he returned to Cleveland and collected his Juris Doctorate at Case Western Reserve University's School of Law. He brought a wife back with him too. He met Barbara Gray when they were in Dayton together. They married in 1969, And in 1978, they adopted a baby girl, Laura. After passing the bar, Ray started working for Cuyahoga County as a prosecutor. He specialized in the most violent cases, robbery, rape, and murder. Then, in 1980, his wife Barbara was offered a job teaching at Penn State University in State College, Pennsylvania. So Ray quit his job and went with her. Electing to become a stay at home dad for two year old Laura. They settled into their new home in Center County. It lasted about a year. One day, the district attorney for Center County, David Grine, came knocking. Grine offered Ray a job as an assistant prosecutor with his office. It was part time and at a far slower pace than it had back in Cleveland. It sounded good. So Ray took the job. Just four years later, Ray Gricar was the district attorney for Pennsylvania Center County. He ran for the post as a Republican in 1985, won by 600 votes, then was reelected four more times. One of his most high-profile cases, and one that people like to point to when they're asked about Ray's skills as a prosecutor was the 1993 slaying of Don Birnbaum, a 17-year-old runaway found in a snowbank off I-80. Ray used DNA, tire tracks, and gas receipts to link the murder to a cross-country trucker. Ray was a pit bull and brought the killer to justice in a mostly circumstantial case. Ray's personal life, meanwhile, was far from flawless, in 1991, he and Barbara divorced after 22 years of marriage. Then, in 1996, he lost his brother. Back home in Ohio, Roy was struggling with depression. Had lost his job at Wright-Patterson. That May, he left his home in Westchester, telling his wife he was running out to buy mulch. He never returned. Two days later, his car was found at Veterans Park in Dayton, near the Great Miami River. A few days after that, his body was pulled from the water, and his death was determined to be suicide by drowning. He was 53 years old. Though authorities didn't seem to blink at that ruling, Ray always questioned it. He never wanted to believe his brother would make orphans of his three sons. And every time Ray returned to Ohio to visit his nephews, He would pay a visit to the local police to see if there were any new leads. Step into
1: the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at Chabacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. we prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Ray married a second time, divorced again five years later in 2001. Then in 2002, began a relationship with a woman who worked in his office. Her name was Patty Fornicola. Soon he moved into Patty's modest pill yellow house in the center county town of Belfont, and they worked together to add a garden and put in a small backyard patio. A couple of years after that, he was talking about retirement. Ray announced he would not seek re-election and would retire from practicing law altogether when his term ended in December of 2005. He'd be 60 by then, and was already planning a long trip to Washington State to see his daughter, Laura, who had settled there. On Friday, April the 15th, 2005, Ray was supposed to be at the office for a scheduled meeting. Instead, he threw on his jeans and sneakers, jumped into his car, and hit the road. At 11.30 a.m., he called his girlfriend, Patty, at the office to say he was going to play hooky. It was early spring, but temps had risen into the 60s, and it was sunny. He indicated he was headed east on 192, a scenic two-lane route through rolling hillsides, farm fields, and Amish country. He told Patty he wouldn't be back in time to walk their dog, Honey. When Patty returned home from work, Ray was still gone. She went to a gym, returned home, and still, no Ray. Calls to his cell phone went straight to voicemail. She made a few phone calls looking for him, but when she struck out, she decided to call 911. It was just after 11 p.m. It had been 12 hours since she had talked to him last, but with his high profile job and potential list of enemies, she wasn't taking any chances. Belfont police sent out a notice to other departments to be on the lookout for his car. It was a showstopper, a red Mini Cooper with a white top, at a time when there were only three such cars registered in the state. They also called Cleveland to ask authorities there to keep an eye out. Once, Ray had disappeared for a day and a half without a word, on a whim. He had gone to a Cleveland Indians baseball game. He was a devoted fan. There was an Indians game scheduled for that Saturday night, so maybe he was on his way there. Some also wondered if he was out with a woman. He had an easy charm with the ladies, though it didn't always work out. In the early 2000s, he had a date with a nurse and spontaneously asked her to marry him. She turned him down and refused to see him again, and there was a waitress at the Gamble Mill restaurant that he was known to flirt with during his meals, but that had gone nowhere. Could he have been paying attention to someone else? Saturday morning, police continued to search for the car by land and air, but it was a trooper on the ground who spotted it just before sunset. The car was parked in a small dirt lot near an antique small called the Street of Shops. That's in Lewisburg, 60 miles east of home. It was a historic mill that was renovated into a complex of stores and curiosity shops and resembled a quaint country village. Ray had been there before. He loved antiques and was always looking to add to his collection of vintage cameras. The car, which was locked, contained Ray's county-issued cell phone, which had been turned off but missing were his laptop computer, his keys, and his wallet. They immediately had the car towed, and technicians processed it. Though Ray was not a smoker, and had expressed more than once his disgust for the habit, the technicians said they detected an obvious smell of cigarette smoke in the car, and they found trace amounts of cigarette ash on the passenger side floor mat. They concluded either someone was sitting there smoking or leaning into the car through an open window, holding a cigarette. Strangely, they didn't find a single usable fingerprint from anywhere inside the car's interior. A police dog brought in to sniff around the car reacted in a way that suggested Ray may have gotten out of his vehicle and into another vehicle, with someone else. Meanwhile, police were canvassing the shops and businesses and found several people who had seen Ray that Friday afternoon. Some saw him strike up a friendly conversation in one of the stores with a tall brown haired woman, perhaps five foot nine, in her thirties or early forties. There was nothing about the pair that suggested a romantic rendezvous and police never made a public request for the woman to identify herself. Even as this story became a national mystery, she never came forward. Police also found three people who had seen Ray parked on the street in front of Lewisburg's Soldiers Memorial Park. They were employees at a small historic museum across the street, and it was his car that had caught their attention. Many Coopers had barely been on the market. They'd never seen one before. It's why they also noticed when the driver, whom they identified as Ray Greekar, pulled into one of the three spots on the street, left, then returned and parked a second time. He got out of his car and paced back and forth, obviously talking, though he was not using a cell phone. Some presumed later he may have been using a Bluetooth earpiece. That idea was also suggested when a woman told police the man that looked like Ray Greekar entered her store, kept a hand held to one ear, and when she said something to greet him, he waved her off and walked to the back of the store as if communicating with someone. He left the store without looking through any of the products. Police later would find all of this strange because Ray's county-issued cell phone had no outgoing or incoming calls at all between the time he called Patty at the office at 11.30 a.m. to say he was taking the day off, and seven hours later when Patty tried calling to find out where he was. So was Ray using a burner phone? That Sunday, air searches resumed, with a helicopter spending about two hours along the banks of the Susquehanna River which ran alongside the park where he was last seen. But they found no trace of him. The FBI analyzed Ray's bank and credit card accounts. They were inactive. His daughter, Laura, flew in from Washington State and joined a press conference. She gripped the podium and made a plea to her father, talking about how she longed to hug him and hike a mountain together and sit and talk. My heart aches deeply for your presence, she said. I will wait as long as it takes to hear from you. Please call. It was unclear whether Laura believed her father had left willingly or whether police asked her to make such a statement to cover all bases. Because, truth be told, Ray's brother Roy had taken his own life in such a similar fashion off a bridge with a strong current of a river, the car parked nearby. While Patty said Ray seemed tired a lot and had been taking naps, he was nine months from retirement, counting down the days, and didn't have any medical issues. He never said anything to suggest he'd been depressed. Ray's colleagues couldn't add much more about his state of mind they liked him a lot and respected him. Some saw him as their mentor. Some marveled at his work ethic. But they also added that Ray was a very private man, reserved. They didn't really know him well at all outside the courthouse. On July the 30th of 2005, fishermen discovered a laptop in the Susquehanna River beneath a bridge somewhere between Lewisburg and the town of Milton, five miles away. It bore a tag on the back, marking it as property of the Center County Commissioners. It was Ray's. But the hard drive was gone. The drive wasn't something that could have just wiggled free in the current. It had to be removed with the help of a screwdriver. Divers searched the area looking for it, but it wasn't until two months after that when someone found it, on the banks of the river, about a hundred yards from where the laptop had been found. But the abrasive action of sand and grit from months in the river had destroyed it. Not the FBI, nor the Secret Service, nor the private Kroll track firm which had successfully recovered data from the 2003 Space Shuttle Columbia disaster, succeeded in getting anything from it. It wasn't until April of 2009 that Belfont police revealed something never shared before. That prior to Ray's disappearance, someone at the house he shared with Patty Fornicola used the home computer to perform internet searches on topics such as how to wreck a hard drive, how to fry a hard drive, and water damage to a notebook computer. For whatever reason, it now appeared Ray made plans for disposing of his computer before he left the house the day he vanished. In July 2001, Ray Gricar was declared legally dead. As I said at the start, there are three main theories as to what happened. First, that he committed suicide. Most detectives who worked this case liked this theory, calling attention to his brother's clinical condition as if maybe it ran in the family. Ray's family didn't believe it. He spoke often of his retirement and of going west to visit Laura. He had a future he seemed to be looking forward to. But if that were the case... Who was the woman he met with in the store in Lewisburg? Who was he talking to on the burner phone, if that's indeed what he was doing? Why was his car wiped down, if that were the reason for the lack of any fingerprints on the interior? The second theory is foul play. Authorities said it was impossible to narrow down the suspects. He had 20 years' worth of them. Early on, it was suggested that Ray's disappearance might be linked to the unsolved death of Jonathan Luna, an assistant U.S. attorney who was found dead in a Lancaster County creek in December of 2003, but no connection between the two of them could be found. Those who like the foul play theory say it was more likely about a case that had not been prosecuted. Not yet. You see... Back in 1998, Ray got his first glimpse of Penn State University's dirty little secret, that the school's famed assistant football coach, Jerry Sandusky, had been using his position and his role in a children's charity to sexually abuse boys. This glimpse that Ray got was when a mother came forward to allege Sandusky had showered with her son. Ray followed up. He devised a plan for the mother to confront Sandusky at her home while officers were hidden in another room and watching his reaction. But in the end, Sandusky's answers to her were vague and ambiguous. Ray knew if he was going to bring down this rock star of a coach and the university engine that might have been aware and protecting him He needed good evidence, and he just didn't have it. He declined to prosecute. And yet, Ray clearly never forgot about Sandusky. In the fall of 2004, Ray was having lunch with a colleague when he spotted Sandusky on the street. He pointed Sandusky out to his colleague and said, he's a pedophile, and I'm going to put him away if it's the last thing I do. Six months later, Ray was gone. Last year, a podcast about this case called Final Argument noted there were many reports from people who had seen Ray talking to various women in locations away from Center County. Podcast host Rebecca Knight said she believed Ray had been arranging private meetings with mothers of boys that had been abused by Sandusky and that a conspiracy to protect the coach killed Ray and destroyed the evidence he'd stored in his laptop. In any case, Jerry Sandusky was allowed to continue abusing boys for several more years after Ray's disappearance. He wouldn't face charges until 2011. The police appeared to have thought this theory the least likely, mostly because there was no evidence. No body, no blood. The third theory in this case is that maybe Graycar had a reason for wanting to start a new life and engineered his own disappearance. He certainly would know how to get off the grid and change his identity. One friend recalled how Ray had expressed interest in the case of Mel Wiley, the chief of police in Hinkley, Ohio, who vanished one day in 1985 and was never seen again. The ribbon on his typewriter revealed a letter to a friend hinting that he planned to disappear. After Ray vanished, police received several calls from people saying they had seen him, most notably in Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania, where both the bartender and an off-duty police officer claimed he was sitting there watching a baseball game. It was also suggested Ray may have taken off to Eastern Europe. He spoke both Russian and Slovenian. Belfont police worked with Interpol to distribute flyers in Slovenia, where he had extended family, but nothing came of it. And if he left voluntarily, he did so without any money, leaving behind a substantial pension that he was mere months from collecting on and untouched bank accounts. The Pennsylvania State Police took over the files of Ray Carr in 2014. It's still considered an open case.
1: That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. We are also a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts, the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information or to check out other shows on this network, please visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Hello, everyone.